Today, on Places I Played, we'll be visiting the Travel Center of America, a moderately sized truck stop located in Tays Valley, West Virginia, complete with fueling, semi-repair, laundry, showers, horseshoe pit, disc golf, and more. A true trucker's paradise beside the I-64 interstate. However, this is not how I choose to remember this place. Instead, let's go back to 1987 and my first experience here. Growing up, I was an accident-prone kid. So much so that the nurses at my local hospital knew me on a first-name basis. I didn't discriminate either. Broken bones, stitched cuts, accidental poisonings, I literally sampled them all. In fourth grade, around nine years old, I was out to impress the ladies with my awesome daringness. After building up an impressive amount of height and momentum on the schoolyard swing set, I had prepared for launch. My goal? Longest swing jump ever. It was going to be epic. Alas, it was not meant to be. Instead of jumping out of the swing, I went up. All that speed pushed me skyward, flying majestically higher than the height of the elementary school building, allowing me to peer across the landscape. Gravity, though, is a cruel and unforgiving force, and what it had given, it quickly took back. From an estimated height of 12 plus feet, I returned to Earth in a crash, dropping an impressive elbow on a protruding rock. My dominant arm was broken in three places, the worst being the complete shearing of my medial epicondyl. In layman's term, that's the part of the elbow where the muscle attaches. Two surgeries and an 8-inch pin, steel pin, both inserted and removed later, and I was right as rain. Except the doctor saying I'd probably lose 60 to 80% of the mobility of my arm. My parents were devastated. Even 9-year-old me could comprehend enough to know that this was probably going to be life-altering. As sort of a chin-up Brenny boy gesture, my father took me out to a big meal after my last elbow surgery. He wanted it to be something memorable, something to take my mind away from the recovery to come. And off we went to the TA truck stop. But it wasn't the TA truck stop in 1987. It was the Paul Bunyan truck stop, East Coast renowned for the Paul Bunyan eatery. Greeting you outside the door was a massive Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox statue. Stepping inside was magical to my tiny little heart. Along the perimeter wall of the establishment ran a model train, complete with tunnels and small towns. At the counter sat massive men, truckers enjoying their midday coffee. The booths were huge. My arms just barely would reach the table. My dad explained to me that everything was bigger here, and I could see it. I looked over the menu of diner-style meals, and I remember that my dad ordered a hamburger, and I went all in for spaghetti and meatballs. When the food arrived, I couldn't believe my eyes. His burger was the size of a hubcap, and my meatballs were bigger than golf balls, bigger than baseballs. They were softball size, three of them, perched on enough noodles and sauce to feed an army. As my dad picked up his enormous sandwich, I just stared at my plate. This wasn't a meal, not meal for me anyways, this was a meal for the gods. 
I struggled to eat even a sixth of the food on my plate. Even my dear old dad tapped out early. This trip was a complete success, and in that hour's time, I completely forgot about the pain and stiffness in my elbow and didn't think once of the recovery that was coming. Through the rest of my younger years, we never really returned to the Paul Bunyan Eatery. While glorious in scope, it was still a truck stop, not really somewhere you take your family for Sunday brunch. All that changed in the summer of 1994. Now, as a teenager, I was allotted a lot more freedom. Some of my friends had even reached the driving age and had access to a car. And with that, we would often take to the roads in search of our common interest, video games. We had a spattering of arcades around us, varying wildly in quality. We were all fighting game fans and made special trips to different locations whenever we had a few dollars we could scrape together. In 1993, Mortal Kombat 2 was our game of choice. Vast improvements in every way over its counterpart. Faster speeds, more detailed graphics, richer sound, and superior gameplay. It wasn't all about the fatalities now. It was a fairly competent fighter, and we loved it. Our trio could take control of a machine for hours, falling only to each other in competitive play. Mortal Kombat 2 had another unique aspect for us. This was the first time we'd ever played an incomplete arcade game. Upon initial release, Mortal Kombat 2 was missing many elements from its finished version. It took five revisions to bring us to the game we know today. At first release, it was missing fatalities, character endings, and more. Bugs abundant, sometimes leading to game-crashing results. After purchasing a move list at the local arcade, we were confused when simply some of our moves wouldn't work. It would take us quite a few weeks to learn the truth. There was better MK2 machines out there, and we were going to find them. And so we started our journey. Every weekend, we'd pick a direction and drive visiting every shopping center or mall we could. It became an obsession. It wasn't just some random shooter or beat-em-up. This was Mortal Freakin' Combat 2, and at stakes were all these awesome moves and finishers for our favorite characters. Our search kept growing wider and wider and started to include anywhere that might have a video game. Laundromats, department stores, pizza joints. We traveled to them all, but our hope was waning. As we started to head out for another search, our driver realized too late that he needed fuel and passing all of our normal stops, we didn't want to turn around, doubling back and wasting time, so we pulled into the Paul Bunyan truck stop. We wandered into the main building to grab supplies, candies, cokes, snacks, and the like, and tucked neatly under the stairs sat a lone arcade machine, a Mortal Kombat 2. We were frantically fishing into our pockets for the required coin, pulling out the now worn and crumpled move list and began to play. There's a lot that has to go right when playing an arcade game in a new place for the first time. Are the coin slots jammed? Is the monitor working well? Do the speakers sound good? Are the sticks and buttons snappy and responsive or a gooey mess of spilled soda and neglect? This wasn't the most healthy environment for a game either. 
Every person ascending the open back stairwell the machine sat underneath pushed minuscule particles of dust and dirt down to the control panel. On top of that, our concern was double because it was a fighting game. Both sides had to work flawlessly or it would be imbalanced. A never-ending chant of how so-and-so could have won if his low punch button was working. Even in our exciting state, we knew it was a long shot. And then came the big question. What version did we have? This was sure to be a more expensive venture to play since we didn't have the line of cannon fodder to extend our 50 cents, making our discovery meaningless if it didn't have the updated ROMs. The odds were not in our favor. The odds weren't in my favor in 1987 either. Can you imagine only being able to bend your elbow 20 or 30 degrees of its normal motion? considering how many activities would be instantly void to you. Then factoring when it happened, I was only nine years old. Pretty much all sports would be off the table, most musical instruments too. Even everyday tasks like reaching for a book or eating became more difficult. Sure, it wasn't as devastating as say losing a leg, but it was scary. For nearly two weeks after I left the hospital, my arm was locked at a 90 degree angle. I hadn't lost 60 or even 80%. It was basically 100% loss of motion. I would will my arm to bend, struggle, beg, plead, and it would just cause pain. I recall my arm laying in a bathtub of warm water, as per my doctor suggested, and just being frustrated that nothing was working, like my arm was still wrapped in the plaster cast. And I remember being angry, angry at the situation, angry at the doctors for not fixing me better, angry at myself for putting myself in the mess. And my emotion was growing and the pain was burning and the water was just splashing and building and building and then it just happened. I moved my arm an extra five degrees or so. And then another three or four degrees in the other direction and then more and more. Medically speaking, I can't explain it. After that night, I had regained about 50% of the motion of my arm, and over the next week or so, I was up to about 95%, basically full motion. To this day, I can't curl my arm enough to actually touch my shoulder, but that wasn't so bad. A small blemish on an otherwise perfectly fine arm. And that's the condition we found our Mortal Kombat 2 machine. The Player 1 button was a little mushy, sometimes it took some real poking and prodding to get it to respond but otherwise a perfectly fine machine. And while a fine machine defied all the odds, the next big question was what version of the game did we have? We knew that Kung Lao's downward kick was not in the version we had in the arcades around us, so that's where we went. And it worked. We had found our new MK2 machine. We played for hours. And when we ran out of money, we went and got more money, earning it any way we could. Anytime we could sneak away and play, we would. And after the joys of MK2 started to wane, and I got my own driver's license, I would still make trips back to the truck stop, where I found pinball machines on the second floor. In fact, that's where I found my favorite pinball machine of all time, Who Done It, a machine I actually own today. Time rolls on, though. After leaving the area to go to college, I didn't really think about visiting the old truck stop much. Arcade machines nearly everywhere started disappearing and my life focus changed. For this video though, I decided to return and see what still remained the same. Obviously the branding is different, 
the statue of Paul Bunyan and Babe have wandered down the road some 15 miles, purchased and on display in Nitro, West Virginia after the rebranding. The eatery is different too. There's no more model trains, no more massive plates of food. It's just like you'd find anywhere else. Upstairs, where I used to enjoy so many pinball machines, is now a pool table and it looks like you have to rent the balls, not just put them in the quarters. Downstairs, where the Mortal Kombat machine sat, there's no space for it now. In fact, the stairwell itself has changed. There's no more open back stairs for dirt to fall. It's all been reconstructed. All the remodeling in the building has updated its look from a run-down place to a more, I wouldn't say family-friendly, but certainly more welcoming. And I guess that's what we have to expect for places like this. Arcade machines don't bring in the money that they used to, certainly not considering how much space they take up. So while it might be called the Travel Center of America, to me, it will always be Paul Bunyan. The places I played.